Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. I'm your host, Phil Huber. Today, I'm joined by design editor Dylan Baker on a special spring break podcast. Uh, Shout out to Epilogue Laser, the sponsors of today's episode. You can quickly and easily customize your woodworking projects for added beauty and value. Learn more at epiloguelaser.com. All right, so we have uh, John and Logan are both on spring break a little bit. Logan's on a working spring break where he's down with Doug Stowe, the box maker extraordinaire in Arkansas, doing some photos. So uh, I brought in Dylan Baker to talk about some stuff that's going on in the shop and his perspective on things. And one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was uh, finishing. A very, very important part of woodworking that many people dread. Right. Akin to Sandy. I think, (laughs) (laughs) and I think what the two things that brought it up are uh, you just recently did a ridiculous number of tables Hmm. and also the bookcase project that you did kind of some final spray coats on. So I was wondering maybe if you would just kind of run through. I mean, I know every project has its own uniqueness to it, but like what's your standard finish process? Sure. Um, well, like many of the projects, um, you know, typically we're doing, um, well, I feel like more times than not, if we're staining stuff here, um, we're usually using a, a gel stain or an oil-based stain, uh, more or less just for their, their ease of use. And plus, like anything, it's just really easy to get in a routine of just kind of using what you know, and we are guilty of that here at the magazine. Um so, uh, you know, gel stains, oil stains, a lot of time, I mean, sanding, uh, that I kind of alluded to earlier is obviously a very important yet sometimes dreaded task in woodworking, just because it does take, you know, incredible amount of time or can, depending on what shape your piece is in when you're done working on it <laughs> or, or, um, you know, we, we use a lot of power tools here. Um, you know, and that's not always the standard people. There are people that, uh, you know, have a reverence or just prefer to use hand tools. Um, it, it, it's kind of similar to turning, you know, you would rather, um, uh, you would rather scrape than sand. And so, you know, if you're using very sharp hand tools, a lot of times, uh, the individuals that use those, they can, um, get them pretty much to a finished quality by just using hand tools. And really we'll just go back and maybe use some 120, 150. Um, again, it just kind of depends on, the finish you're using or the uh, aesthetic or look you're you're uh you're going for but typically here um sanding for me starts at 100 and goes to 150 almost always um you know if i'm doing uh like phil talked about a bunch of tabletops i don't really pay as close attention to the bottom i still want them to look nice but they're not going to receive the same uh type of attention that the tops would which for good reason um but like I said, usually 100 to about 150 grit, um, just making sure I'm going over uh, going over in both directions with the grain, against the grain. Um, and then usually I like to blow off my pieces no matter what with a with an air compressor, and then I'll even wipe them back with like a tack cloth. Um, I'm using stain. Stain is definitely the next step. Um, 
after that dries for you know 24 48 hours um, i'm usually going straight to the finish and we typically use a catalyzed lacquer here um, i just finished using some post catalyzed stuff which has a shorter pot life but can be a lot more durable um, hence why i use it on uh, tables for a restaurant um, which that requires you to mix it yourself. Pre-cat stuff usually comes pre-catalyzed uh, at your local either home improvement store or woodworking store or whatever those finishes are provided. Um, so I usually do uh, two coats of that stuff, three if necessary, but typically I can get it into pretty well. Um, and that application is very uh, similar to the um, staining and sanding process where I will actually go um, against the grain and then with the grain to finish off. Um, and then once that's dried, you know, the catalyzed okay. stuff dries a lot quicker. So you can, you can usually, uh, sand stuff. I usually wait 45 minutes to an hour, sometimes longer. Um, and it's sand, that stuff sands really beautifully. Um, I use about a 320 or typically a 400 grit. And I just want to make sure I get really good, especially on the first coat. I just want to get, um, Kind of a, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the adjective used to describe, um, you know, it, it sands and you kind of get like almost like a chalky dust on there. And I just want to make sure I'm kind of consistently getting that all over. Cause again, your base coat is, is arguably one of your most important coats as you only really right. have number two or three. So, um, <laughs> I use that and then I, I, I what, <laughs> I'll usually blow that off too with an airbrush just to get any sort of debris or dirt off. And then I use, uh, um, a lot of times I'll just use like a tap cloth to get the remainder off. And then I'm spraying the second coat on. Um, some people will put it on a little thicker than the first. Um, I usually just kind of stick with the same as the first. I just want to make sure I get really good coverage and I just sand really well after that first coat. And that's really what I'm used to. Again, I've just been using the catalyzed stuff for so long here for the magazine. And then I've used the post cat stuff for, um, a lot of commercial use stuff just because it holds up really well. It's a little more durable. It goes on a little thicker too. Um, but it sprays okay. pretty much, pretty much the same. So, yeah. So now a couple of questions here following up is when you have a project that's been stained, like that bookcase that we, uh, just wrapped up, uh, how do you still sand after the first coat of finish and how are you avoiding burning through stain? Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, some people will do, um, you can use or apply a first coat, first coat of finish, almost like a sanding sealer on top of the finish. I know that I, I believe did you use tongue oil on top of the finish on the case. Yeah. It was like tongue, tongue oil varnished. Yeah. Yeah. Which that really helps because I, I would never sand the finish itself without any sort of uh, coat on top of that, whether it's a, a sealer, like a tongue oil, or even if you're just using your first coat of lacquer, like a really thin coat just to kind of block in the stain. Cause even after right. a first coat of finish, you've got to be careful to not, especially around edges too, where the stain doesn't really hold as well. You know, you can, it's really yeah. easy to knock it back to the finish. So, um, you know, a lot of that just has to do with pressure. Again, make sure you're using like a 400 or higher in between that will help alleviate from that too. Um, but I would probably never sand a stain without a, a sealer on top of it. Cause you will run that risk. You can do it if you want to try it. Um, I, I just yeah. don't really recommend it cause you will, you'll find yourself, 
removing the material on ingrain and edges more frequently than not. Sure. Well, and that's what I was wondering is like, do you, have you ever done like say two coats of lacquer before sanding because it's been stained in order to avoid a burn through? Or are you to the point where, you know, like you can do one, one coat of clear and then be fine, confident knowing that you're, you know, providing you're not like being real aggressive because you're just knocking back dust nibs. You're not trying to sand out imperfections at that point. Right. I guess I've, I've been doing it. I don't want to say long enough as if I've had this, you know, tenured career finishing woodworking <laughs> projects, but, um, I, I'm usually confident enough in, in my first coat with even like wipe on poly and especially spray stuff that, you know, I, Pending that you know your gun's working the way you want, I'm 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 usually kind of a stickler about having the gun cleaned out. A lot of times, I'll run lacquer through the line in the pot, and then I'll put my lacquer back in there. I usually soak my my tips uh, in lacquer thinner when I'm not using them. And so, again, just ensuring that your fan is appropriate and the amount the volume of material coming through. I mean, I check all that stuff before. So again, it's just kind of a built-in. Um, I don't want to say proficiency, but again, just a sort of confidence in what I'm doing that I'm just getting a good enough coverage on the first coat that I know I'm not going to go through it. I'm still cautious around ingrain and edges for sure. Um, but on, yeah. the, on the surface, it's really never much of an issue because, again, I'm still going across the grain and then with the grain always on all my coats. So, um, yeah, I'm not overly liberal with the first coat, but um, I'm definitely not conservative with it either. So, yeah. So when you're sanding, are you are you using a a block then with it, or is it just, you know, because a lot of times, and I am not a professional spray finisher by any means. You know, I just have a small piece of, you know, 400 sandpaper that I've just kind of tri folded, and it's maybe, you know, two by two inches square, and I'm just kind of using finger pressure on it. Are are you using a block to back it up, or just hand pressure? I more times am not, I usually just use my hand and I'm just knocking back all the nibs from the, you know, the, you know, just if it's an inconsistency in air pressure, it's usually just inevitable on a first coat anyway, because you're fighting whatever your finished coat you have on anyway. So if you're only sanding to a 120, 150, you know, it's, it's not overly coarse, but again, there's still going to be some imperfections and some, uh, uh, parts of the grain that are raised more than others that you're going to collect those again, nibs and stuff from the first coat, but preferably I like using a wood block with a, um, like a cork backing on it. Um, I even really like the pre-made, like a lot of people make them, but the three M sanding pads are really nice too, just to get a, a really like consistent kind of sanding pattern on it too. And I'd probably be more, apt to use those if I was doing multiple coats of finish where you're, you're going up in your grit. So if I, again, I say I use 400 pretty much exclusively. If I was doing like a third or fourth coat, I'd probably bump up to like a 600. I know Dana, our old shop manager, he used to even go up to like 1200 sometimes if he was doing multiple coats of stuff, which you could argue that that's excessive, but again, it just depends on the type of finish that you want, you're, you're trying to achieve. Or again, a lot of people just do stuff out of just doing the same thing all the time. So, um, but yeah, 400, 600, I think is a pretty good, uh, grit 
couple of grits to start in terms of finish. And again, if you're going doing more than two, um, you might want to consider using something that allows you to have a little bit more of a consistent uh, uh, footprint when you're sanding. But yeah, I more times than not, I'm just folding over my eight and a half by eleven sheets and just you know using my hand lightly. Yeah. So uh, you know that was one thing when I first started using the spray equipment here is um, you spray that first coat on and wait your hour, hour and a half to make sure that it's dry. And then you run your hand over it. And it's kind of surprising on how scratchy that feels. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you sand it flat and then you put the second coat on and it's ridiculous how smooth that second coat is after that. Yeah, it makes a world of difference. And I think part of that too has to do with, you know, depending on how you remove the um, debris after you're sanding your first coat, I think even if you use an airbrush or a tack cloth or whatever your method is, inevitably some of that is going to kind of embed into any sort of like graining that may have protruded. Oh. Again, short of like sanding down to some ridiculous grit or using a sanding sealer, which people are to do just so they can ensure a dead flat uh, finish. Um it, it almost kind of acts in your favor because I mean, lacquer just, it, it covers up anything. You know, you can see all the scratches and imperfections from sanding in between coats, but it's pretty amazing how much life it really gives on, you know, even after the first coat, but certainly the second coat where it becomes, um, it certainly, uh, brightens, uh, the, the stain you used, but it, it, it it fills in any sort of uh, voids and stuff or does a really good job of kind of concealing that. Yeah. Which is what I was kind of surprised on, on the, uh, that bookcase project. Cause you know, that was one that we did on the TV show. And so our surface prep in pri you know, prior to staining wasn't stellar, Sure, but you know, the final result after just a couple of coats of lacquer over the top, it was, I mean, it's an impressive looking piece of furniture now. Yeah, it really makes a world of difference. And even some of the, um, you know, some of the areas that may not have, you know, gotten as much of attention because of the nature of, you know, how that project was put together for the show. Um, those are things that can end up being knocked back to because you guys did the, the tongue oil on top as, again, kind of like a sealer. And uh, yeah. it makes a world of difference. The other thing too, you know, if you're finding yourself not, 100% confidence in your even your staining abilities. There, there are opportunities post stain to uh, kind of fix, uh, you know, any sort of blemishes. You know, I've done this time and time again where I've I've actually tinted lacquer um, to again to give a little bit more of a uniform color. If I'm seeing there's an inconsistency in where there are certain areas of the wood that absorb the stain more than others, or again I didn't maybe sand as well in an area that as that I probably should have. Again, so there, there's definitely uh, other remedies you can do to offset, um, uh, again, sort of any inconsistencies in your in your standing process, which is a huge relief because <laughs> we all know you spend <laughs> enough time building your project and getting to that, that final stretch where you have to stain and, you know, spray finish or apply finish with a brush or a rag. So um, it's, it, it's uh, reassuring to know that there's uh, other things that you can do. Yeah, because I think there's a there's a little bit of a fear factor in finishing, you know, because I think a lot of woodworkers, because we do the woodworking part of it so often and so repetitively that there is a confidence in, you know, 
knowing that our joinery is going to be tight or what to do if it's not and right. you know, whatever. But once you get to the finishing, because you're only, you know, a given piece might have a dozen or more mortise and tenon joints in it, but you've only finished it once, mm-hmm. you know, so you don't have that same kind of built up practice in the finishing process. So there's a little bit more of an intimidation factor, I think. Yeah. And again, that's just something that comes with, with, uh, experience and time and obviously a lot of patience. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's always, there's, there's usually always a fix for something that you conceive as being just a complete blunder. And once you become more seasoned as a woodworker, you realize that that's like, it seems like 80% of being a woodworker is just figuring out how to solve problems (laughs) problems <laughs> that you've created for yourself because you have this, you know, sort of exacting, uh, idea of, you know, how things should be because, you know, you're used to just seeing beauty shots in a magazine. Well, I'll be the first to tell you that a lot of those projects weren't perfect. It's just a lot of, you know, a lot of time and practice and obviously a little bit of Photoshop too and color correction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're all guilty of it. Right. Well, I, I was thinking, you know, like, you know, not everybody's going to have a spray set up, mm-hmm. but, you know, I think it pays to get to know a local paint store because they're going to have, you know, cause you can find, you can find tinted lacquer in spray cans that mm-hmm. you can use to touch up a project. You know, they, I think it's usually called toner at that point. Yeah. Mohawk, I think is the. Is that the brand that we get? And yes, yeah, yeah. That stuff works really well for small projects. I, I mean, I probably wouldn't want to spray a full size cabinet with you know twenty aerosol cans, but it, that stuff it, <laughs> it, it, it's definitely a good introduction into how that stuff applies, and then how right. to tr- treat it in between coats. And sure, certainly yes. the, the, the fan on that is going to be different than what it's like on an H, HVLP gun or even a gravity. But again, at least you have an idea of what that stuff starts to look like on, you know, on stain or on bare wood. Um, and then again, the treatment in between those coats. So yeah, you're right. It's, you don't have to yeah. have a commercial spray booth, which is a great asset for us to have. Um, I know there's yeah. a lot of portable ones that are available now too. Um, you know, you don't have to go out and spend a bunch of money on a gun. I mean, there's a lot of commercial, uh, stuff available at home improvement stores or your local paint store that you can get for, I would, what I consider fairly reasonable price. If you're someone that's going to be doing it a lot, um, it's, I think it's definitely worth the investment. Now, if you're just a hobbyist, maybe not, but again, yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Epilogue Laser. Quickly and easily customize your woodworking projects for added beauty and value. Learn more at epiloguelaser.com. Yeah. Well, one thing that I wanted to, well, before we jump into that, I wanted to just back up a little bit. Sure. Because there's a little bit of a, I don't know, controversy maybe in the shop. Because you had talked about, you know, in between coats where you're going to wipe down your project, you use a tack cloth. Mm. Whereas Steve and Mark aren't really tack cloth kind of people. Yeah. And I've even heard people question or send in questions about whether a tack cloth is going to leave residue behind that's going to affect the subsequent coats of finish and blah, blah, blah. 
Um, but you stand by your tack cloth use. Yeah, I don't know if I would use it on top of like just bare stain. So after you finish staining something before you finish, um, I don't use it them exclusively. Um, actually, I know they use these uh, like cotton rags a lot too. We were using, actually we were buying cotton rags and then the, then Mark started buying. I don't know if you remember, Phil, what the name of the, they're like Scott or Scotch or. Oh yeah, yeah. The Scott, yeah. Scott brand of of they basically just look like you know thicker paper towels um right and those work fine too i i just sand enough in between on the second coat that i just feel you know if i'm not using an airbrush in conjunction with or in tandem with i i tend to use the tack cloth um but i've never really had much of an issue with it leaving residue i feel like you'd really have to apply a lot of pressure and i'm, I'm basically using those like sandpaper where i'm just lightly dragging it across the surface there's enough tack to them where it really pulls up any uh residual or dust yeah um and then i'll air hose after that even um but yeah i suppose i i could see it running into problems with bare stain but unless you're unless your lacquer your finish isn't cured that would be an issue too right yeah. Well, and the other thing is, because is, uh, I like using a tack cloth just because I feel like I'm really able to see the progress as the fact that it's pulling up stuff. Yeah. But, you know, and you're not you're not using a tack cloth like a like an eraser, you know, where you're rubbing no. hard on your piece. You're just kind of dragging it across, yeah. you know, and I think that's where if you're going to get residue, it's if you're scrubbing your piece with a tack cloth rather than just wiping it yeah and i again i not really don't want to put words in their mouths but you know i i think for some people it just becomes a point of kind of irritation too where you know it, it's a tack cloth so it's tacky so it's just like sticking to your hands and it's you know sticking to your, sticking <laughs> to your clothes and it's just picking up all of these you know uh particles of dust everywhere and um yeah, I don't know. Again, I think it kind of just, again, falls into the category of, you know, what you're used to. You know, some people use something once and they never want to touch it again, you know. Um, but yeah. I, again, back to your point, like, I don't use a tack cloth all the time. It's just a resource that we have and I, I find it useful, uh, especially when I was doing all those tables. Um, I was just hyper aware of, right. you know, what those were going to look like in the end, even though they're in a bar setting now and probably destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> It nevertheless, <laughs> I'm the one that has to live with myself when I'm done with them. So that's all that really matters. Yeah. Right. So now like in our shop, we have, you know, we've talked about the, the commercial spray setup where we have it on plumbed compressed air. It's a compressed mm -hmm. air system. Uh, but we also have used in the shop is the Earl X 5,500. Yeah. It's a, sm so, it's a smaller one. And I know you've, yeah, and you've used that a number of times as well. Could you kind of compare a little bit how they're either different or, you know, and then maybe wrap it up with the fact that would you recommend that if, you know, if somebody that isn't going to be able to put in a spray booth in their sure. shop, garage, or whatever, is the Earl X going to be able to do something for you? I don't remember how the Erlax is advertised. I have almost always used it to spray uh, either milk paint, which a lot of the store-bought milk paint is essentially latex paint anyway, or latex paint itself. 
Um, I right. have found I have found with that you do need to cut your paint with water, um, and you're, it's really just kind of a trial and error of how much you add. Um, I'm almost, I almost think it's almost like half and half. It's quite a bit. Um, it does not apply. It's not okay. really capable of applying as thick of a coat, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, the pressure is a little different. It's runoff. It's electric. Um, those it's a, I wonder, I think those are technically an HVLP as well, but they're not using compressed air. They're using electricity, uh, to generate the energy to push the air through the nozzle. Um, I think you can get different novel nozzles for that. Obviously, if you're spraying paint, you want a larger, you want a larger nozzle. Um, if you're spraying finish, you want a smaller one. I've actually never sprayed lacquer with it. I've only used paint with it. Um, I was rather impressed with it when we first got it. Um, I think it fell out of favor with me probably just because it was starting to get neglected in terms of being cleaned out. So it wasn't really performing the way that it needed to, you know, you find yourself holding the gun, you know, a few inches away from your piece and moving at just a glacial pace to get a coat on. And that's obviously an issue. Um, we, I think since then, it, technically it's Marks, but we've, we have a Graco, which is a, a home, I think it's a home improvement brand, a paint sprayer that's used for spraying stain, um, painting houses. I used to use one for years for painting the exteriors of houses. Um, those are actually about the same price point if I can remember correctly. And I think those do a lot better job. And I think there's a lot more versatility um, with the tip sizes you can get for those two. And those are easy because you just pull the tip out where I think you actually have to get a whole new head for uh, the Erlax. I, I don't quote me on that. Um, but I, I've been using that to spray latex paint. It's, it's actually quite incredible. It just, it's kind of a pain to clean um, and it requires quite a bit of paint to prime. You actually have to prime quite a bit of paint through the system in order to, uh, to spray. So you're not really going to be using like a quart of paint to spray. Like you almost have to use, get a gallon of, of paint or finish to get it through the system enough to have enough pressure to, uh, to spray. And those are also electric as well. Um, but the, uh, the Erlax, again, if you're someone that's just, you know, using it from time to time as a hobbyist, uh, I think it's a good investment. And I, I, I'm pretty sure you can spray stain or finish with it too. I don't see why you couldn't, it would just be a matter of tip size because there's really no, I don't think there's any regu regulator on that. You're kind of just stuck with one setting where, uh, the Graco and even the, uh, the Vilblis that we have, which is a really nice HVLP gun, um, there's several different settings on there in terms of you know your fan size, the amount of material running through, and I think you can even adjust the uh, PSI on the gun itself, even though we have a separate regulator for ours. Um, and yeah, like Phil said, I think the Erlax is around, it might even be less than $400 now, because they do a step up that I think is closer to six or 700 bucks. Um, and I, I used to share studio space with the guy that used that almost exclusively for spraying lacquer. And again, it wasn't that much more expensive. I mean, I, I look at those. It, it is a lot of money, but again, it just depends on how much you're going to use out of it. I, I think a lot of those things are just worth the investment if you're going to be spraying a lot. There's really no reason to compromise on your finished product. So, um, yeah. And I, I you know, uh, I've seen guys even like... Uh, Philip Morley, who's, uh, you know, kind of a darling of the Instagram world, but certainly someone that is a very uh, good word worker. 
I see him spray stuff outdoors all the time. If the weather permits, he lives down in Texas. Um, so again, he's, you know, got a lot more consistent, nicer weather than we do here in the Midwest. But I, I see him spraying conversion varnish outside, even without like a hood around it. So again, <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I'm not using this as uh, as advice, but again, I, I think that there's, again, like a lot of things in woodworking, there's just a myth around a lot of the equipment you need to do certain things. And, uh, yeah, I've seen people use guns just outside without having an actual surround or fan or anything as long as they're outdoors. So I kind of got off on a tangent there. <laughs> All right. Some good stuff on finishing and spray finishing. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, I'd love to hear about it. Today's free plan that will kind of relates to what we've been talking about uh, is a sanding block. And it's a shop-made one for either adhesive back paper or just regular sanding sheets. You can find the link for it uh, on our show notes page at uh, woodsmith.com slash podcasts or on our YouTube channel. So special thanks to Epilogue Laser for sponsoring today's podcast. If you want to find out more about what you can do with an Epilogue laser to customize your woodworking projects for added beauty and value, just check them out at epiloguelaser.com. Thanks. Bye.